CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What do you do when armed policemen show up at your door? We'll go inside one Bitcoin engineer's security ordeal. Good evening. I'm Mark Hoxton. And this is Late Confirmation from Coindesk, bringing you the top stories for July 26th. On today's program, Bitcoin's cutting-edge coin selection tech gets its first major integration. Wave's decentralized exchange scored a $6 million debut. Then its website got hijacked. And lastly, we'll talk about the trends in cryptocurrency project funding when we speak with Coindesk research head Nolan Bowerly on his latest findings. But first, a word from our sponsor, Oxford FinTech Program. Master financial technology online with the 10-week Oxford FinTech Program, interacting with an international cohort of business leaders and over 60 guest experts, you'll gain a practical introduction to key financial technologies and their business applications. What do you do when pranksters call a SWAT team to your home? One Bitcoin engineer had to confront that very problem. In an op-ed on Coindesk, well-known Bitcoin engineer Jameson Lopp reflects on last year's infamous swatting incident. Someone anonymously called 911 to report a fake hostage situation at Lopp's home, resulting in armed SWAT teams showing up at his door. Yeah, this is uh, non-emergency 911. How can I help you? Yeah, I got into a fight with my and I shot and killed him. According to a recording of the phone call obtained by a news station in his area, the attacker claimed that the residents shot and killed someone and were holding others hostage after rigging the front door with explosives. I, I have everyone else in the house hostage, and I'm not really sure what I should do. Okay, just repeat the address to make sure I have it correct. And he demanded $50,000, or the equivalent in Bitcoin. What was Lop's takeaway from the ordeal? In retrospect, Lop thinks the asymmetry was disturbing. A single anonymous phone call can result in lethal force being deployed in a matter of minutes against any target. The idea may resonate with those familiar with the concept of skin in the game, a phrase coined by renowned investor Warren Buffett. While Lop is a huge privacy advocate, he thinks it shouldn't be possible for someone to deploy lethal force with no risk to themselves. He suggests that authorities pay attention to red flags, like calls coming in from different area codes than the houses they're targeting. At the very least, Lop writes, you should have to put your reputation on the line. Bitcoin's cutting-edge coin selection tech gets its first major integration. 
Since Bitcoin transaction fees spiked to over $20 back in December, the industry has been pursuing a technology that would help chip away at these fees, even though they've recently fallen to less than a dollar. Crypto security startup BitGo's predictive UTXO management is a means to that end, and it helps reduce crypto fees by using the scaling technology known as coin selection. It's an idea that's been around for a couple years, but is just now starting to gain more widespread attention. With this latest technology, transaction sizes will dynamically react to fee levels, so that when fees are high, transaction inputs remain low. With the news announced today, BitGo is opening up the technology to a large swath of the industry. All BitGo clients who have upgraded to their latest software version will have access to this new tool, seeing fee reductions of up to 30%, according to the company. BitGo engineer Mark Ahart, the main brain behind the technology, expects that customers would save a lot if fees fluctuate again in the future. Given that BitGo's clients include the likes of Bitstamp, one of the oldest and largest Bitcoin exchanges, and the blockchain-based identity platform Civic, this technology is likely to reach a significant number of Bitcoin enthusiasts. Decentralized exchange Waves scored a $6 million debut. Then its website got hijacked. This week, a decentralized exchange, or DEX, was brought out of beta by the blockchain project Waves. This decentralized exchange not only supports fiat tokens and says it's courting banks, but also makes customer identification optional. A new exchange with self-custody options, Waves trading volume is staggering, or staggering, I would say, by the standards of a DEX. According to data provided by the company, the DEX facilitated $6 million of crypto transactions a day during the last month of beta testing, which is six times the daily volume of a rival DEX, AirSwap, when that DEX debuted in April. But the rollout for Waves DEX hasn't been all rainbows. Waves' website was hijacked in a phishing attack the day it officially ended the beta period and launched the full DEX. Hackers hijacked the website to fish for users' personal wallet information. It took about an hour for Waves to regain control and a couple more hours to get the websites back online. We'll be following these stories closely on Coindesk.com, so stay tuned. In a moment, we'll speak with Coindesk's head of research, Nolan Bowerly, about trends in cryptocurrency project funding. But first, the most influential conference in crypto is coming to Asia. Coindesk Consensus Conference takes over Singapore on September 19th and 20th. Join more than 75 speakers and 50 sponsors for two days of powerful insights, industry announcements, and cross-industry networking opportunities. It's all happening in Singapore, September 19th and 20th. Register today at coindesk.com backslash events. Welcome back to Late Confirmation. This is Mark Hochstein of Coindesk. The ICO market keeps growing, but if you look behind the numbers, you'll see some subtle nuanced differences over time. Here to discuss how things have evolved is Coindesk's head of research, Nolan Bowerly. Nolan, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. My first time on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. A, a long-time listener, first-time first time guest. You got it. So, Nolan, how has the composition of ICOs uh, evolved uh, over the period that, that your team has been, been tracking the market? 
Well, we saw the total number per month really grow quickly in 2017, and it kind of plateaued by December, January, and we've seen that number hold pretty steady. So we're up to about 60 a month. But 60 individual offerings. 60 individual offerings that raise enough for us to pay attention to. Of course, there's a ton that just die on the vine, and, and that's not something we're looking at because... Of course, one of the great innovations here is that you're able to do this, uh, you know, in bed. Uh, that's one of the great things about the ICO world is that the theoretically, anyway, the distance between idea and funding of the idea has gotten much quicker, and you don't have to go beg VC at Sand Hill Road and, and the, the same old ways as you used to. Um, so we don't really check the the. Uh, there are ways to check the absolute number of offerings, but if no money is raised, we just don't really spend too much time statistically looking at it. What we found were about sixty to seventy sort of plateaued and, and is holding steady around that number since the peak. Um, but, those, but the dollar numbers are getting bigger. The dollar numbers were getting bigger. If you look at the dollar numbers per event per ICO, that's changed. So last year, we were seeing the average ICO hit about $6 million. Um, with the two super raises that we saw this year with Telegram and EOS, um, that has dragged up that number a lot. So the average number of the average raise per ICO has, has hit about $40 million uh, because of the $4 billion one that we counted this month. So um, the, the size and scope have changed. There is an idea that we have and that we're going to keep trying to pull on, a thread that we're going to keep trying to pull on at, at Coindesk Research, which is that perhaps this sophisticated buy side that rose parallel to the ICO movement. So as you saw the ICOs exploding into public consciousness last year, um, you had this whole equally large uh, uh, blast of new hedge funds that came all across the world. Um, we've just put together a, a bit of information on that. Uh, we're, we'll be releasing that in the next few weeks. But where are these hedge funds located and, and where is their domicile and where are they around the world? But the numbers are, are large. We're talking over 300 hedge funds uh, that really did a lot of human capital attraction to the industry. You've got a really sophisticated new professional player that entered risk management professionals and people who can sort of manage crypto treasury. Um, and that's an interesting thing, of course. You see Bitcoin behaving as a kind of reserve currency in that world. Um, if that, if, you know, a lot of the spike that we saw this past week in Bitcoin's price could have had a lot to do with that. We saw Bitcoin's um, uh, the dominance index increase for Bitcoin. The dominance index. Explain what that refers to. Uh, the Bitcoin dominance index is simply Bitcoin's market cap divided by the market cap of all the coins uh, that are available. So if, if the market is 300 or 400 million, um, you, you divide that, or 300 or 400 billion, you divide that by the market cap of Bitcoin, and you've got your, um, you've got your Bitcoin dominance index. It's just, a, it's just the percentage of Bitcoin versus all the coins combined. So what does it mean? If, if, if that index is rising, what does that tell you? It looks like there could be some risk management going on where um, some of the people that have other coins want to go to Bitcoin um, because the price isn't sinking the same as the rest of the coins. So if, if uh, the, the other coins in the top 10, for example, have a bit of downward pressure, 
it can be sped up because a lot of these are moving to Bitcoin quickly on an exchange and they're using that to soften the, the, the market downturn. It's a good old-fashioned flight to quality. It's a flight to quality. We've seen that this week. That was one of the takeaways uh, from, from the price bump this week. We saw Bitcoin's increase at the expense of the decrease of a lot of the other coins. I want to bring it back to ICOs though, Nolan. So you have, uh, you have fewer raises, you have bigger raises, uh, but you have these institutional players coming in, these hedge funds. What does this all mean for the, the whole dream of ICOs of democratizing finance and, and making everything more peer-to-peer and allowing you know, you know, small businesses to easily raise capital? Is, is, is that theory uh, playing out in practice the way we see it? Well, it looks like the costs of an ICO are starting to have a lot of rent seekers along the road. Um, That's something that we're going to put a bit of time into by the end of the summer as well to see what the average cost of an ICO has turned into. Um, The cost in terms of what the the legal fees you pay? Yeah, the legal fees, the marketing, the listings. A lot of we, we hear anecdotally anyway about. Uh, a lot of coins paying certain exchanges to be listed. Uh, is that become a cost of, of ICOs? Has that dream that you just asked, uh, is it running away? Are there a lot of rent seekers along the path of a successful ICO that have become mandatory? Um, we're going to try and put some numbers to that. Uh, a lot of it is going to have to do with, with seeing if some of these ICOs are going to be forthright. Uh, a lot of this is happening undercover. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time to try and uncover some of that information. Um, but in the marketplace, when we see these products come out, one of the things that we're seeing is the sophisticated buy side is seeking products that are more recognizable to them. So this world of utility tokens and the kind of sidestep that it was believed you could achieve by getting something through the Howey test and, and counted as utility token is starting to dissipate. Um, we do have utility that utility tokens uh, for those unfamiliar. I like to think of them as uh, buying one of those old tokens that you used to buy for the New York subway station or for the New York subway system, with the difference being that the subway isn't built in this case. Um, but uh, uh, and arguably, uh, those are, are not securities under the traditional legal definitions, uh, or at least that was the argument that was made. But it, it sounds like people are capitulating on that. Well, we just see a lot of, um, let's say, smart money heading to these SAFs. That was something that we saw grow a lot this year. And the, the SAFs are a legal structure, a simple agreement for a future token. Um, we're able to measure those because they have to file them with the SEC. And so we had a look when that, that idea sort of came to the forefront late 2017 as a way once again to perhaps sidestep some of the, the, the securities regulations. This is a type of exempt market offering. Um, and it looks like the exposure that's there is quite interesting. We saw um, about $300 million raised in Q2 for SAFs alone. Um, and that's an interesting number. And we see that growing. That, that is a way kind of like a, a better mousetrap. Um, they look like the offerings a lot of the, the hedge funds would be used to seeing, and it looks like it's an easy way for them to get exposure to this asset class without having to go down the road of regulatory uncertainty with a new offering. With the judgment that the SEC or the declaration that the SEC made about Ethereum this past year having evolved into uh, a utility token from its original offering 
as probably a security token, they showed that the two major factors were time and decentralization. So as these two factors played out for the growth of the Ethereum network, it clearly graduated into being this utility token and therefore not under the purview of some of the more restrictive policies uh, and 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 standards of the SEC. So the Ethereum founders could probably breathe a little bit easier after that statement. But what what about the the IC, the ICO founders? I mean, do we uh, are we even clear that the SAFT itself is 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 kosher? Well, that we know the information that the SEC in their Edgar filing system has all this information seems like they're okay with letting it go on. Uh, we haven't seen any action taken against any of these uh, SAF so far. Perhaps if there is an egregious case uh, where it gets their attention, there will be an action taken. But so far, so good. Um, uh, a number of projects have been launched this way. They've raised a substantial amount of money. And it could hint at uh, a growth of uh, the integration of a traditional securities legal infrastructure and this new technology perhaps suggesting that the securities token market just pure raise money uh, from ideas not to build a utility token or to bootstrap a blockchain. In your example with the, the New York subway tokens and building the subway system through the sale, pre-sale of a token, um, it looks like that might have a... Um, it looks like there's another opportunity out there to tokenize a lot of these normal securities. And those platforms are growing, and that's something we're going to pay close attention to. You've got um, Harbor, Templum, Polymath, um, pardon me, Polychain, uh, really interesting platforms that are trying to integrate the legal system into these offerings to allow a lot more exposure to everyone in the world. Fascinating. Nolan Bowerly, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Late Confirmation is brought to you by Oxford University's Said Business School, where you can now study fintech entirely online. The 10-week program gives you the tools you need to build the future of transactions and commerce. You'll explore emerging technologies that will disrupt marketplaces and financial services, and examine the state of the industry and plan intra- or entrepreneurial interventions. Throughout the program, you'll be exposed to key ideas, principles, and frameworks from CEOs of leading startups, corporate leaders, and instructional leaders at the forefront of research in the space of future commerce and transactions. For more on today's stories and others, check out Coindesk.com. For Coindesk, I'm Mark Hochstein, and this has been Late Confirmation. Thanks for listening. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.